back, hour three. Darren Vaught in for DG. This is the David Glenn Show. Let's reset. Thank our myriad of guests for stopping by who were with us in the first two hours of programming. Jordan Rodrigue of the Athletic Carolina. Gino Toretta, the former Miami quarterback. Heisman Trophy winning, national championship winning quarterback. Now an analyst with Touchdown Radio and Sirius XM. Voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel. And then most recently, Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. As now, I'm joined by Brian Geisinger in studio, who's going to hang out for a little while. And uh, BG of ACCSports.com, the ACC Sports Journal, Sports Channel 8, of course. And uh, the BuzzBeat podcast, among a number of things that you mm -hmm. do. You cover a wide array of topics, so I expect you to do the same. Lots of basketball. Here in the next 45 minutes or so. Sounds good. And I did an hour of radio with Chip this morning, actually, too. I, he was on Sports Channel 8, the radio show, That's on right. our local uh, Triangle affiliate yeah. here, 99.9 The Fan. So uh, Chip was great, obviously, as he always is. Mm -hmm. BG, you have taken in, correct me if I'm wrong, every minute of the FIBA World Cup with, uh, with Team USA, most with, of it. with missed, USA basketball's teams anyway. I, I missed games. some of, with some scheduling stuff, I missed some of the second half of today's uh, win against um, Brazil here. Uh, but yeah, I've seen the vast majority of Team USA in action, including some of the exhibition matches. So going into the weekend, for those not paying attention, this is, of course, the Team USA squad uh, being coached by Greg Popovich after mm -hmm. replacing Coach K as the longtime USA basketball coach. And this is, it's not, it's not the Olympics, but it's, the, it's what's called the FIBA World Cup, which is another international championship. And Team USA has, it's a light roster, I think would be the just, nice way of put it. Just two all-stars currently. I mean, there's some future all-stars on the roster, most likely two. But yeah, Kemba is the only multiple-time All-Star on the roster. Chris Middleton made his first All-Star game this past year, and he's the only other All-Star on this roster. Like, you can make a case the biggest star might be Coach Popovich right. or Coach Kerr. And, um, and other than that, as far as the roster is concerned, mm -hmm. Kimball Walker, if I'm not mistaken, is the only multi-time yes. All-Star, yeah. being a two-time yeah. NBA All-Star. Three times, actually. Or three now. times, correct. Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Kimball Walker and... A bunch of good players. I mean, that's the thing about Team USA basketball is that mm -hmm. even if you have your top 20 players in the NBA decline yeah. invitations to participate, you're still going to roll out a pretty productive team as they're yet to lose a couple of scares, including overtime with Turkey. But you mentioned the win against Brazil this morning mm -hmm. and then over the weekend taking out Greece yeah. and Giannis Antetokounmpo, which I thought would be their biggest te test yet. Yeah, that, that that and Giannis played pretty well. That, that game was sort of the Greece game was interesting because it, it there was there was there was not not controversy, but um it, tempers flared a little bit in that one. Giannis's brother hit Harrison Barnes from behind when he was going in for a fast break dunk. Um, and then there was a, a little scuttlebutt after the the game between Marcus Smart and the Giannis and his brother. And those guys all got into it a little bit. Nothing too serious, but had to be separated there. Uh, I believe Chris Middleton, who we were just talking about, who is Giannis's teammate with the Bucks, had to sort of step in and play peacemaker in that situation but yeah th that game was a little interesting too because Greece made a comeback early in the fourth quarter and Giannis was glued to the bench during that so it was Greece's it was their backups and stuff that actually had some good minutes against Team USA 
Americans have had trouble offensively. They just haven't been overall that efficient. Uh, but the defense has been the most efficient in terms of points allowed per possession um, at the World Cup. And I think Miles Turner defensively has had a nice effort for them. I think Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, these guys, Jason Tatum before he got hurt, was having a nice defensive performance too. Uh, they've had a lot of good luck. Not not a good luck. Not a lot of good luck. But they've done well playing small ball. There's been a lot of Harrison Barnes at center. Um, and before Tatum got hurt, we were seeing some of Jason Tatum and Chris Middleton playing the four and five together. Uh, minutes with Brooke Lopez, who's the team's backup center, have not been that great. Um, and Mason Plumlee's seen spot duty here and there too. But for the most part, when, they, when they're when they not playing Miles Turner, their best lineups are going to feature a small ball combination. That's nothing new, though, uh, to, to Team USA, which has gone small plenty over the last decade and a half with Coach K running it, too. Um, the one other thing that I, I would throw in there about uh, the Americans um, – Sorry here, I just lost lost my train of thought here for a second. Uh, so why don't why don't you just save jump in here and build yeah, me no, out here? Happy to. That's that's all good. Uh, so for the most part, I, I'm looking here, and the, the style of play is going to be a little bit different. I, for instance, with Greece, I think there was a lot of concern with that game because of the dominating nature of Giannis mm. Antetokounmpo's style of play. As when he is a Milwaukee Buck, he puts up insane numbers mm-hmm. and I think he had what 15 and 13 yeah in, in the game against team USA mm-hmm. you mentioned that he sat out various points only played like 26 27 minutes and these are t- 10 minute quarters as opposed to 12 yeah too. yeah yeah so it's so it is a good chunk of the game mm-hmm. um but it's just played a little bit differently yeah. as I would as I would expect team USA to have more of a balanced attack given the roster yeah. that they have that's been the case for the most part so far with a team like Greece, I, I, they were scary to me in part. Because this one singular star. One singular star could, could control the entire thing. And I don't I don't know if that's a, a, an international basketball play difference. Obviously, the Bucks pay him and the yeah. nation of Greece does not. Yeah. So that factors in as well. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you know, assuming that uh, the United States is able to beat France in the quarterfinals and advance to the semifinals, They'll be playing what's been arguably the best team in the tournament so far, which is Serbia, just led by Nikola Jokic, who is going to be a guy that's going to be in the MVP running for the next decade in the NBA. Now, he plays a far different game than Giannis, but yeah, he's a seven-footer that dominates from the front court. Uh, Serbia has been scoring at will. They, they are tops in this tournament in offensive efficiency by a considerable margin, and that's because you know you put Jokic out there, you run the offense through him. They're incredible. They have several other NBA players on the roster, too, so they're pretty deep with uh, plus talent. But, yeah, Team USA doesn't mean Kemba is the most marketable star, and I I love Kemba. I've seen every game he's played the last four years, (laughs) but we just had him in this state. And think about how even even over the course of the last three three years when he was an all-star, even then he didn't garner – crazy attention like if sure. you, let, you know unless you care about the NBA or really care about the Hornets it wasn't like the because the, in part because the team wasn't very good but you know he wasn't like a lightning rod for interest and uh you know he wasn't sort of like a, a tent pole that you could really really build a playoff contending roster around you know and so it it's once again I think Team USA's clutch time offense will have to run through him as the Hornets did the last couple of years too but there are inherent challenges with having a 5'10 guy be your your highest usage guy, be your leading scorer. Um, 
and yeah, we'll see how it works out. Serbia is going to pose a really big, tough task for them in the semifinal. The one other thing I did want to mention, though, too, when I lost my train of thought a second ago was... <laughs> got, um, it, got it back. This is not... I don't want to compare this roster to the 2010 World Cup roster because some of those guys really grew into be these generational superstar talents like Kevin Durant, like Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry. But a lot of those guys on the 2010 roster, this is before those dudes became household names. And... I mean, obviously Durant, his star was taking off, and Curry had had a charmed college career. But that World Cup where they went out and won in Turkey, that's when Kevin Love, young guy, Eric Gordon, young guy. So maybe you get to see some of that with Donovan Mitchell, who's going to—he's a star in the making. With Jalen Brown, with Jason Tatum. Um, again, I—you know—none of these guys are Durant, right? But um, or or maybe no, even, or maybe even Westbrook. But, sure. But you're seeing—it's—it's it's cool to see these guys get to be, you know. Uh, alphas of of the national team um, in a non-Olympic season as their stars are taking off in the NBA, yeah, yeah. too. I think it's a, a great point because as good as the roster was in 2010, we look at it more favorably now oh, because of what the, the players on that team easier. did yeah. after. It's way easier to say in hindsight – man that was a loaded roster partially mm -hmm. because of what they were able to accomplish yeah. on that team usa basketball team so mm -hmm. who knows four or five years down the road this might seem like a much better roster than it does right now and, and it lot, probably will it probably will because a lot of these guys are going to grow into all-stars a lot of these guys are either on the rookie contracts or just finished them uh like miles turner this past season um, so yeah you in a lot of guys in team usa have used this as like a, a jumping off point where they go and they play in a, in, a, in a foreign gym, they play against in front of international crowds, against tough competition, different set of rules, and they use that as a springboard when they come back to the NBA the following season. So perhaps we'll see guys like Donovan Mitchell take a jump, Jason Tatum take a jump, um, et cetera. Yeah, and for those um, maybe who haven't been paying as much attention, there's a decent bit of local and no, ACC, ACC no, flavor really cool. on this team. Donovan Mitchell out of Louisville, Harrison Barnes, of course, UNC. Uh, Kimba Walker, if you followed Jason the Hornets Tatum, lately, Jason Plumley, yeah, Joe Harris of yeah. Virginia as well. So, uh, I mean, for an ACC fan, it's certainly a, an interesting mm -hmm. roster and an interesting team to see how they mold and and. I'm sure Duke make fans do. aren't as locked into this team as they were with previous rosters with when Shashevsky was coaching. But again, there's still two Blue Devils on this roster, and obviously K is still a part of USA basketball yeah. too. Um, and it is neat to have, like anything, it feels like in the basketball universe, there's going to be some connection to North Carolina as a state and, of course, the ACC, too. All right. Well, that's our uh, maybe one segment of, of hoop talk today. It is a Monday mm -hmm. following a, a dual football weekend with both the college mm -hmm. season and NFL season being underway. Brian Geisinger is in studio of ACCSports.com and the ACC Sports Journal. BG, I'm going to ask you on the other side the same thing I've asked a couple of our guests today, and it's the same thing that I implored of our audience in today's open pertaining to the big four ACC college football programs here in our state. Darren Vaught filling in for DG. This is the David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Yeah. 
It's the David Gwynn Show. Unless I stuck by Darren Vaught with you. DG is out and about. Might even be done with this round of golf by now. I'm not sure what time they got started with the Carolina Hurricanes Foundation. So raising money for a good cause, as DG likes to do, dual-purpose golf outings. It's really the only time he goes golfing. I mean, otherwise, he's he's busy with, you know, the seasons, college mm-hmm. football, college basketball, and otherwise. Family and man, too. Family man, too. He yeah. stays stays pretty busy. So uh, I know he was excited to get on the course today because he hasn't really had many chances this summer to do so. Uh-huh. Um, so our best to him. Hopefully it's an event that he's won before. They pair you and your group with a Carolina Hurricanes player. Mm-hmm. So, uh, A, we're trying to not have a, a DG show curse along those lines because Calvin DeHaan was his player last year. And then, if I'm not mistaken, t- th- was it three years ago that it was James Wisniewski mm. who tore his Achilles and did not the first re- game of the season, yeah, I did think. not really play yeah, that season that. for the, the Carolina Hurricanes. So we're trying to avoid a DG curse okay. at this tournament. Uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk was his partner one year, and mm-hmm. nothing bad has happened there. So That sounds good. Uh, so, no, that's enough. That's enough. We'll, we'll run with it. Okay. You don't know who he was playing with today, do you? Uh, not yet, okay. no. Uh, I will at some point, and hopefully that person does not suffer a season-ending injury right. because, like I said, there's not a curse. Right. But as I'm th- constantly thinking big picture mm-hmm. as far as the show goes, we would like to avoid that. Yeah. That would, hopefully that, that, not only not a curse, but they get a win today. Mm-hmm. Uh, BG, Brian Geisinger is with us in studio of ACCSports.com and the ACC Sports Journal, Sports Channel 8 as well, and the BuzzBeat podcast. Um, picked his basketball analytical brain about Team USA before the break, and, and we'll dive back into some ACC football with the big four schools here in North Carolina in mind. Brian, I've asked everybody else on the show today their thoughts on this because, to me, it's an interesting question. Prior to the season, I think we would have considered it a toss-up, depending on how Mm -hmm. things go. NC State or Wake Forest will be the best of the big four college football programs. Probably by default, I would say. Just by default. uh, A lot of newness with with Mm -hmm. North Carolina. True freshman at quarterback. Um, Duke opened with Alabama, so – probably didn't think we were going to have them in this conversation this time mm-hmm. of year because they, they just were largely so, expected 0-1, and, and they lost a lot. They just lost so much from last season's roster, too. So even despite that, Duke lost as expected to Alabama mm-hmm. and bounced back in a big way to me because North Carolina A&T is a perennial FCS power mm-hmm. that I thought was going to challenge the Blue Devils more than they did. And Duke dominated that game so it was a really good look for them and it's one of those things where it's it's lose it's lose lose for duke if you win it big oh well you were playing an fcs opponent but if you lose it you lost to an fcs opponent even Mm -hmm. despite the fact that it's a really really good competitive program um so i i don't necessarily think they have elevated themselves in this conversation but it's worth noting that they've pretty much done Mm -hmm. everything they can to this point yeah uh, NC State is 2-0 and by taking out Western Carolina and East Carolina in big fashion with a new quarterback, Matthew McKay, which was one of the question marks coming into the season. Uh, Wake Forest, 2-0, and close win against Utah State, and then big over Rice at Rice over the weekend. 
And then North Carolina, the, the surprise of the ACC so far, because I don't think anybody expected them to get off to a 2-0 and start with wins at a neutral site over an SEC mm -hmm. opponent and against Miami, who some had winning the Coastal. Um, in your mind, how has that picture changed since the season has started? Obviously, UNC's in the mix, but yeah. wh where would you, how would you rank those three, Wake Forest, NC State, and UNC as of right now? Oh boy, it's I it's at this point I think all three they've all gotten off to nice starts all yeah. two and zero oh, and with that two and zero oh, I I think I saw uh, Josh Goodson tweeted this out but I think North Carolina is the only state with with four two and zero oh FBS teams sure yeah which is pretty neat too so want to shout out you know, app there honestly at this point it feels way too early to like make any sort of and, we'll know a lot and more and we'll and know a is. lot more in six days after uh, Wake and UNC play and Winston Salem on Friday night that'll be a really entertaining game and obviously nc state then plays west virginia on saturday so you know in a week this conversation becomes even more interesting i think or at least you can get into specifics you're sort of just speaking in generalities now but i think the fact that hal and mccain unless you're like in and around those programs you don't know what those guys really look like in the spring right. or in the summer or what things look like at practice and that we've seen now through you know we have a sample size of two for both of those guys pretty good right and I think McKay has had a has been good. Bam Knight had a nice game running on the ground for State. So now it looks like some of these other freshmen might be coming along for them as well too. But Sam Howell and, and Brown, I mean, that looks like a pretty good combination at quarterback to receiver at UNC. And yeah, I think Jay Bateman's defense looked good. I mean, everything with UNC in these one possession games, like there is some luck involved when it comes down to this. Sure. Like there is a, you know. The probability of them picking up a first down against a good defense on fourth and seventeen, <laughs> those are those are bad odds. But they they still got it, you know. And you you need to execute and have some luck, and they did. So you know, if I had to rank them one, two, three, the margins are so thin. They're so they're razor thin. But I think I'd go Wake, UNC, and State. I think that's how I put it in the power rankings at ACC Sports yeah. this week. But okay. like, I mean, it's it's really tough to say that these. They're they're almost twins. Your triplets, you know, that yeah. you're looking at right now. They're not identical, but they're so similar. And it, I also find at this point, when you're doing this stuff, you're trying to power rank or or rank or say which one of these is the best. It becomes tough to to weigh small sample size versus preseason expectations, and also factoring in how talented are the rosters too. And at this point, early September, it. It's really cloudy. So, but but yeah. it's but it's cool that well this week there's there should be plenty of uh, new information to be you know gained. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We get our first matchup between two mm -hmm. of these these three schools as uh, it's Wake Forest in, in North Carolina on Friday night. That's at Wake in that one, and it's an actual actually it's a non conference it game in a, yeah. in a weird scheduling mm -hmm. snafu. So. Uh, I'm excited to see that because, like I said before, North Carolina not at all expected to be in this conversation before the season. And it's it, it, your point of nuance is is well taken because yeah. <laughs> let's let's be honest here. We knew more about certain elements of certain teams coming into the season than we did others. You knew Clemson had all these good offensive players, right? Yeah. You knew that. You knew you'd seen Trevor Lawrence, you'd seen Justin Ross, you'd seen Travis Etienne, you'd seen T. Higgins, you'd seen some of these guys from multiple seasons. So you knew they're going to be good, and they're going to be good because of these guys. Yep. And that was not quite the case at, at 
certainly at UNC. With State, you knew some of the skill guys coming back, but even then they had lost so much too that it, even you were sort of trying to forecast guys stepping up into bigger roles but also doing it with a new quarterback. And, and, and that was sort of tough to, to predict. And as that's well. so much of uh, a more casual observer's impression of mm-hmm. a team is the stability of the quarterback situation. So I just think with, with Sam Howell at UNC and Matthew McKay at NC State, there were just, it could have gone either way, mm-hmm. really. I mean, we had an idea, as you said, of, of how, what kind of prospect Howell was and yeah. what he was going to produce like. And uh, certainly local people know of Matthew McKay mm-hmm. because he was a big high school star in the area as well. But it, it just it could go either way you for could, a first-year starter. You could think that about Jamie Newman at Wake Forest too, right? Sure. Right now he started four games last year, and he's played in plenty of these one-possession I mean, his record as a starter, I think he's 5-1 and one now. But a couple of those wins have been – They've been coin coin flips, including the the Utah State one a couple you know, a couple Fridays ago. He, they they scored on fourth and goal <laughs> uh, on a, on a tough grab by Kendall Hinton. So yeah, that, that's another one that Jamie Newman's been lighting it up. I mean, he's been incredible this year. But that's another one that you know, Sam Hartman played more than him last season in Winston Salem, and uh, clearly Dave Clawson knows what he's doing because he's he's pushing all the right buttons in Winston Salem. Worth noting too what the Deeks lost. Uh, offensively, too. I mean, they had a, a Greg great Dor- Greg, Dorch Greg Dorch. one of the best players in the recent ACC history. But their their wideouts have stepped up. I mean, Scotty Washington's been good. Sage Surratt, like they they've still got players and in, in skill and speed on the perimeter. I mean, Clawson has built. I, it's funny if you think of Wake from years and years ago. Just to think that they Wake is a team that Wake. Pl- plays faster than everybody they spread it out they've yeah. got all this <laughs> skill and speed it, it just it looks totally different from the way things used to be especially if you think you know Jim Caldwell early Jim Grobe era so they host North Carolina that's on Friday night that game has been swapped dates a couple of times at mm-hmm. this point I think it was originally a Saturday kick and then got moved to a Thursday and then yeah. to Friday in between so it's it's been a bit confusing but Friday the 13th, as it is, mm. North Carolina at Wake Forest. You mentioned Clemson and their depth and their weapons. They got a big win over the weekend against Texas A&M. A lot of people going into the weekend perceived that as their biggest test of the season, and they won it by two scores, 24-10. to 10. Uh, BG's in studio. We'll talk about Clemson and the remaining schedule for the Tigers because I don't know if A&M is going to be – their toughest game, which is easy to say in hindsight, but I think even in terms of, of what it could be, it's not going to be their toughest of the season. BG is in studio. I'm Darren Vaught filling in for David Glenn. This is the David Glenn Show. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music That's for that? right. That's Bette Midler. There we go. Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. There are millions of unused and leftover opioid pills in North Carolina alone, enough to stretch from the mountains to the coast. These powerful prescription pills are contributing to an epidemic that takes five lives every day. But there is something more powerful in opioids. All of us. We can take back our extra pills and ask our healthcare providers about alternatives for pain. Together, we can take back our communities. Learn how you can help end the epidemic at morepowerfulnc.org.
What's up? Welcome back into the David Glenn Show. Darren Vaughn in for DG. Brian Geisinger of ACCSports.com, the ACC Sports Journal is in studio. Charles Hadley in my stead on the other side of the glass on the ones and twos. You always get the green light with the food. You know that. Well done. As Clemson got a win over the weekend at home against the Aggies of Texas A&M. They led it 24-3 at one point, gave up a later score to A&M, and the final was 24-10. to It was never really a contest. Mm-hmm. And, Brian, I'm just curious. Going into this weekend, we thought, or many thought, I should say, that A&M would be the tallest task for Clemson this season. And, of course, after they beat them by two scores, in hindsight, it's much easier to say now that, no, 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 it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know that that's 100% true because even coming into this weekend, I might have been inclined to say at Syracuse after the A&M contest would be tougher. Now, Syracuse got mopped yeah. uh, by Maryland, who is now ranked as, as far as the new AP polls are concerned. But, you know, now that North Carolina's 2-0, and Clemson goes to Keenan Stadium later uh-huh. in September, uh I mean, Wake Forest is is good, and I don't know that they could pull off that kind of upset, especially with Clemson hosting. But Boston College is still there on the schedule in yep. October. That's a home game for Clemson, but that might be the trickiest one left. I think so. I mean, that's that's they got to go far from home to play that game too, right? And uh, and I do. I even think. I mean, I, I you know they're going to be favored to win all of these games but i even think the game against nc state and raleigh is a little of a little interest yeah it's on november 9th pretty late in the slate and they in 2011 they lost in raleigh and over the last decade under dave doran state's given them a, a couple competitive games and i think at least at least one possession game uh one one possession game as well too uh but yeah i think boston college makes the most sense i mean they have a great running back Boston College ran all over Richmond this weekend. A.J. Dillon was good. He caught a touchdown in that game, too. Their quarterback, Anthony Brown, leads the ACC in, in passing efficiency right now, too. Um, you know, they don't, they ran the ball 50 times this week, so they didn't really throw it all that often. But they got a quarterback veteran that's gotten better every year that doesn't make mistakes. And they've got one of the best running backs in the country, and they know what they're about. Like, they have an identity um, you know, I guess in theory, you think they could keep the ball away from Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and in that Clemson offense. I, I think what's interesting for Clemson is they they didn't even have like that wasn't even anywhere close to an A game for them no. against Texas A&M. I mean, Lawrence was fine. Etienne was pretty much held in check. Justin Ross got loose, but like for the most part, that was I don't know like a, a C plus game for them, and, and they it, still beat a good. A good team, you know, at home. Um, so yeah, I mean, Clemson's scary. I actually feel like in these first two games, they've won both of them, obviously convincingly over Power Five opponents. But with non-complete games being yeah, played on they their just side, haven't, they haven't thrown down a complete performance yet, in, in my opinion. Um, but what I what I would say, and I think obviously people had circled that Syracuse game probably before the season started, just because you know Syracuse ended up being a preseason AP top twenty-five team. And we can get into the whole – it's a whole other conversation to, like, talk about the validity of the, the AP poll and, like, how useful it actually is sure. outside of just being a conversation starter. I just wasn't crazy about Syracuse in general this year. Um, losing Dun- Eric Dungy at quarterback, I-, I just wasn't totally 
buying everything. And we'll see. You know, maybe maybe with their tempo and their passing, they can give Clemson a, a, a good run of things uh, this this next weekend. But um, but some yeah, I'm guessing people had that one circled. But it's tough to see Clemson's you know falling in any of these games. I mean, it would be a huge upset. Like I'm this is from before the season. Bill Connolly is a, a, a college football stats writer for ESPN now. He was at SB Nation previously. But like his his win probability model before the season gave Clemson a 91% chance of beating Syracuse, uh, 92% against North Carolina, 77% against South Carolina, 79% against Texas A&M. So like they were there even in some of these games against good teams in conference, out of conference against power five teams. I mean, Clemson was, they're not expected to slip up until, you know, a national semifinal game, potentially, if then this team's really good, obviously it is. And, uh, I mean, Syracuse was the only other ACC team ranked coming yeah. into this season. Mm-hmm. We've got Virginia ranked as of the new poll Today, for this week, yesterday. yesterday when it came out. Um, Virginia is not on their remaining schedule for Clemson. Maybe Charlotte. Which is important. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that potentially a matchup in Charlotte for the ACC championship game. But outside of that, I mean – at Syracuse, again, I, I would have circled it as a tough matchup. I don't know how much I'm rethinking that with the, the big loss to Maryland for the Orange. Yeah, so that's part that's part of it. Maryland averaged eight yards a carry and ran for six touchdowns against Syracuse this past weekend. Syracuse has now given up uh, five runs of 20-plus yards this season, and now they got Travis Etienne and Lynn J. Dixon coming into town. <laughs> so... Yeah, it would be. I mean, this could be a game where Clemson just runs wild, and I'm guessing they're going to stare at that Maryland tape all week and see, well, what can we do with even better players attacking this? No, that's great perspective, which is why we bring people like Brian Geisinger in here when I host, because again, I need a little help from my friends. DG's DG's better at the the you know turn the mic on three hours. Yeah. Just gas bag that's mm-hmm. he, he's better at that than he's been i am doing it for admittedly a while. he's been doing it for a while yeah so uh it's glad to ha- i'm it's good to have you in to, to mm-hmm. drop little nuggets like that when it's out of basketball of season i can be up on my football stats yeah <laughs> but obviously i'm keeping up on obviously i'm keeping up with team usa here too but for sure it becomes more of a challenge like a month from now but for now <laughs> it's a, it is a lot of it. numbers in your defense yeah you can have general impressions of things in multiple mm-hmm. sports, I feel like that's pretty easy to juggle. But yeah, you get a lot of numbers bouncing around in your head when yeah. when we've got the the football basketball overlap mm-hmm. for certain. Brian Geisinger of the ACC Sports Journal and ACCSports.com is with us, as well as Sports Channel Eight and the Buzzbeat Podcast. Um, I mean, with BC, we talked about it. NC State later in the schedule for Clemson is an interesting one to me, mm-hmm. mainly because. What you had said a few years ago, the loss at Carter-Finley for Clemson, NC State is still a bit of an uncertain for Mm -hmm. us this year. The 2-0, but have had two sort of gimme wins. Yeah, It'll be interesting to see them go to West Virginia this weekend. That's not going to be the the biggest challenge, but it's a power back to to playing the Power 5 school. Mm -hmm. It's a road game, so of course it's, it's a good win if you get it. Um, for certain. I'll just be interested to see how they stack up, and especially that late in the year, it could be a totally different story with Clemson visiting NC State because that's Saturday, November 9th. And we'll see how things change as the season goes along, but so far, State's 
front has looked really, really good, and they moved some pieces around, and they've been playing with more three-guy fronts this year as opposed to exclusively four-guy fronts. I think some of the, the young guys up top, I mean, Ali McNeil had his first sack of the season, um, but you're seeing that even after the last couple of years where State's been sending linebackers and linemen to the NFL, that they have another batch of guys that can play pro football. Uh, James Smith-Williams, who I, I know DG is a fan of him because he's a he's fan, fan of the, of the show. show. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but State has good players up top. And obviously, I'll be very interested to see because I think State's defense, at the last couple of years, it really felt like they were they were balanced. But, you know, Finley in the past game, that was what they did best. And this season, you don't quite know what their best feature is going to be, but it might be, well, our front six or seven is pretty darn good, and that's and that's what we're going to try to hang our hat on. Um, obviously, Matt, Matthew McKay's looked good so far, and they've gotten good stuff out of their own game with with Bam Knight and Ricky Person. But I, I'll, I'm fascinated to see because I think some of these guys are they have NFL players up there, and I think they're one of the better you know I don't know three four best fronts in the ACC, and so I'll be curious to see how um, that progresses as the season goes along because they've gotten after the passer. Um, even against some of these quick pass schemes, and they've been incredible against the run so far, albeit against lesser opponents. Uh, he's Brian Geisinger, accsports.com, ACC Sports Journal. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. BG, you good to stick around? Sure, and, yeah. Uh, bring, this ho- bring this thing home with me? I we'll take a, a quick break and then put a bow on the DG show on this Monday afternoon. Again, I'm Darren Vaught. DG will be back tomorrow. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. I made a reference to Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and his GOAT status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the bleeping prairie chewing on grass. This is The David Glenn Show. All right, let's put a bow on this puppy. Darren Vaught in for DG. It's the David Glenn Show. Brian Geisinger's in studio with me as we round things out. And staying on the road, I think in our lane in between the lines as I'm in the driver's seat in place of DG today. Um, BG, you were at the Carolina Panthers game this weekend. You're, you're a... Uh, I think I would consider you a lifelong Panthers fan. Is that is that right? Definitely, I mean, you're a North yeah. Carolina native, so Definitely. yeah. I don't quite ride or die quite like I used to, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Obviously, I want to see the see the team do well. So you were at the game. Um, I I struggle with the idea that they're going to maybe eventually work Christian McCaffrey into the ground and mm-hmm. into their own demise. Yeah. He's he's fantastic. Yeah, but them treating him as like a combination of Jerome Bettis and Ladanian Tomlinson is it's, perhaps a, a bit risky. It's concerning, yeah. right? So I, he's put on a little bit more size progressively over yeah. his his couple of years now in the NFL, and is is more apt to run between the tackles, which is if he's more durable, fine, fine mm. by me. But. And he's breaking records. He broke a Super Super Bowl record, Super Bowl era mm-hmm. record yesterday, uh, becoming the first player within the era to have ten receptions and a hundred 
20 res- mm-hmm. rushing yards in the same game twice for his career before that 10 receptions on 11 targets too so yeah. he was incredible he was an efficient and explosive yesterday as explosive as the Panthers could have possibly have been, yeah. essentially, which is to say, <laughs> so not that's it. Crazy. Explosive. So that's it. When when Cam struggles and is still sort of finding his feet because he didn't play in, in the mm-hmm. preseason, he's McCaffrey's really all you have going for you offensively on a day like yesterday. Yeah. And when that's the case, you're going to be close in games. You're mm-hmm. you're going to be in games because he's that good. But it's just going to require a a Herculean effort out of him I mean he was on the field we've we've come to expect you know 90 percent over his first two seasons yeah 90 percent of plays offensive snaps McCaffrey's been on the field he was Mm. 67 out of 67 for them yesterday and for a team that puts its fan base through the ringer with injury concerns of their quarterback their MVP uh it's just it's I don't know if I could do it and healthily I don't know if I could be a Panthers fan and be fully invested yeah and come out on the other side okay they put they're putting a lot on these just two guys right yeah I mean Cam and and, and obviously there, there are certain aspects of Cam's game that they've dialed back uh, and I'm sure people all over the state and who followed the NFL have been talking about that for the last 24 hours and maybe we can even get into that a little bit as well too but they really are putting a lot on these two players um, and and that's ultimately why you probably need more from DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. And but the other thing too is, man, like in terms of how they've allocated resources, they haven't really spent to put together like a competent backfield behind McCaffrey. Does that make sense? Yeah, like no, they, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost been, been male in... with young guys or, or or journeyman veterans like CJ Anderson. Like yeah. It, They've, it's almost been intentional to not have a, a more solid number two yeah, because and, of the versatility of McCaffrey and, and, and his willingness to play a lot of downs. And I think and, there's this like there's this really and I don't think this is what the Panthers are doing, but I could see it. This is almost like a, a, a Belichickian way of thinking of it. If you're thinking, well, the, the running back is most valuable, that player's first three, four years in the NFL. Uh, before their body starts to break down and when they're at their cheapest before you sign them to a second contract. Sure. You know, there's maybe some thought to, and again, I don't think this is what the Panthers are doing because I think, you know, they see Christian McCaffrey as a long-term asset for better or for worse, but they do, um, that you would just re- take that player and then use them as much as physically yeah. possible uh, while you could, like, maximize these peak years when they're 22 to 26 or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, and I don't I, think that's what's happening, but, theory, I, but I, but my like, uh, there's like a glib thought I have of that basically. Sure. In theory, if you get sort of an efficiency minded coaching staff yeah, right. in a certain situation, I, I see how that could yeah. be the case. Um, I, I would always argue that it was probably more efficient to put pieces around him. No doubt. And, and, 100%. You know what I mean? And, and, and harbor some, some so good the, faith. So the 20 times he touches the ball, you're getting the best version the of him. The most as, out of him, as opposed yeah. to making him touch the ball the most while you have him on mm-hmm. your roster. So uh, I, I see what you're thinking. That's It's probably a theory that's that's spun out there by mm. other teams. I, yeah. I, like you, don't imagine that I the don't Panthers think are that, doing something yeah. like that because – a, they've expressed as much that mm-hmm. they want him to be a long-term piece of the team, and B, at this point, I, I just think they know that he, when he touches the ball, he gives them the best chance to score Without on, a doubt. on any given play, Without and, and a I doubt. think that's fine. I get it, but it's concerning. 
because uh, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit worried that it's not sustainable over the long haul. Yeah, and I think as and they're just going to need to find ways to get guys like uh, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. Like those guys have to, those guys are guys that make they they're they're wideouts. They make plays in space. They they should theor- in theory be deep threats. Um, they really only took Carolina really only took one shot down the field yesterday, which was the overthrow that that Cam to, had uh, to, Samuel. Yeah, up the up the right sideline. Um, and obviously they didn't really run Cam all that much yesterday. I mean, the, a lot of CMC as as we were just talking about. But they've got to get. I, I I was looking at this earlier today. Uh, Curtis Samuel averaged on the average like depth of his target was was under seven and a half it was like right about like seven yards so again think about that's how many times when he was targeted in the past passing game yesterday these are throws that are inside of seven yards or right around seven yards like that's got to get that needs to go up like that there are ways we can measure how conservative carolina is playing and that's something that it just got it they they need to look vertically more i think and perhaps they're working cam in a little bit because of the he just had surgery a couple months ago um but yeah, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to mix it up a little bit and maybe perhaps be a little less conservative and also perhaps not as reliant on this one guy to to sort of like carry the ship offensively. Brian Geisinger is always looking at things with an analytical eye, even when he's at the Panthers game as a fan yesterday. That's, that's right. Why, that's why you should check out his stuff on accsports.com and in the ACC Sports Journal, as well as Sports Channel 8, Busby Podcast, at bgeis underscore bird on the Twitter. So, uh, BG, I'm closing things out, but appreciate you stopping in here for like an, an hour today. Yep, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Uh, DG will be back tomorrow. Another thanks to our guests, Jordan Rodrigue of the Athletic Carolina, Gino Toretta, former Heisman winner at Miami at quarterback, now an analyst with Touchdown Radio and Sirius XM. Jones Angel, the voice of the Tar Heels, was a lot of fun, but why shouldn't he be? 2-0, and oh, Mac is back, right? Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com as well after his trip to Austin, Texas for the biggest national college football game of the weekend. He was a lot of fun. And then BG in studio as our final guest of the day. I'm going to check in with DG, see A, which Carolina Hurricane he played golf with, and B, whether or not he won. He's gotten some hardware at this at this event for the Carolina Hurricanes Foundation we like winners. in the past. We like winners. We love winners here on the David Glenn Show. Hope you're with us tomorrow, noon to 3, right here. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.